become misfortune. <laughs> I'm watching you. Hey guys, and welcome to this very first edition of Macabre Misfortunes. Ooh hoo! Thanks to Tim for that special intro he worked out for us. Yes, thank you, Tim. The doll baby. So let's talk about this episode. In general, what the intention is for these episodes on Saturday, Macabre Misfortunes, is tragedy. That's going to be the focal point on most of these. So some of these, like today's episode, the very first one, is going to talk about a tragedy that most people probably don't know of. And there's no paranormal aspect at all to this episode. Hmm. So sometimes that's what it's going to be. Okay. In other episodes, like next week's, which I already have completed, there's paranormal aspects as well. So... That's going to kind of be the the deal here is something tragic happened and we're going to cover it. Sometimes there'll be paranormal aspects to it. Sometimes there won't. Alrighty. But it's going to be interesting stories and that's going to be the key to these. Okay, good. I want it to be a little bit different so it's not always paranormal, but at the same time, it's still a very interesting story. Sounds wonderful. All right. On this first edition, we're going to talk about the Stardust. That's a plane, a small plane. A plane? Yeah, it's a plane that went down and was missing for almost 50 years. Oh my gosh, okay. So, the British South American Airways flight that was bound from Chile to Buenos Aires in August of 1947 never arrived. The plane known as the Stardust was missing for decades and shrouded in mystery. So when you think about like the Malaysian airline that went down mm-hmm. that, you know, in 2014, I think it was, you know, where people were still like, well, I wonder what happened. Or you have, you know, some of these other planes like over the Bermuda Triangle or something like that that just went missing and nobody ever knows what happened. This plane was in that category mm-hmm. for the longest of time. It had 11 passengers and then crew on it. Mm-hmm. The only clue was the very last message that was sent via Morse code, believe it or not, before it disappeared. S-T-E-N-D-E-C. And for the longest time, nobody understood what that meant. Yeah. Because it don't spell nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. So the flight disappeared into a snowstorm. And it was the subject of many, uh, I guess you could say, conspiracy theories as to what happened over the decades since it went missing. There were stories that they were trying to escape Nazi spies. There were stories that they had stolen gold and were just trying to get out. You know, it's it's a, a lot kind of like the, the story with uh, 
what's his name here that had stole all the money, mm-hmm. uh, Cooper, and just disappeared. People were like, what the hell happened? Yeah. So there were stories similar to that, that maybe there was something that wouldn't on the up and up, and that's why it disappeared. No trace of the stardust could be found until 1998. That's when a group of unsuspecting hikers were crossing parts of uh, the mountain up there, and they ran across parts of a Rolls-Royce aircraft engine, and then an airplane fuselage and bleached clothing. Bleached? From sitting out in, I guess, the sun. Oh, oh my gosh. What a find. So this, this prompted a recovery mission. The plane was found on Mount Tupangato. The discovery revived interest in the 51-year-old mystery, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely. The, the search expedition, led by local Argentinian soldiers, was organized to kind of search the entire mountain. Now, it's probably good to point out here that this was not an ordinary mountain. Oh. It was a glacier. Oh, wow. And that's part of the problem as to why this thing was a mystery for so many years. So the first expedition by the Argentinian Army and the Air Force was botched. Therefore, the recovery didn't actually take place until January 2000, two years later. I mean, why was it botched? I, I don't know. I don't know. really know what the situation was. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the Army was trying to take control and the Air Force was trying to take control and they were actually more or less going against each other instead of working together. Good grief. Among the grisly remains that were scattered over a radius of one mile. Oh, gosh. Were three human torsos, a foot in an ankle boot, and a hand with outstretched fingers. <gasps> All were in re- a remarkable state of preservation because they were basically freeze-dried by the icy winds and the ice of the glacier. You mean they're scanning all that stuff still on there? Basically like it was. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine coming up on something like that? Because of the icy temperatures, the remains had not suffered any bacterial decay. Whoa. That is interesting. A picture soon surfaced in a newspaper in Mendoza. It was of the finely manicured hand of a young lady. The hand was laying amongst the ice and the rocks. So was the was any of those torsos hers? Well, it was assumed that the hand at least belonged to 26-year-old Iris Maureen Evans because she was the only woman that was abo- on board the plane. Oh, that's her heart. In Great Britain, the hunt for possible family members actually started, and the name of victims uh, were known because they knew who was on the plane. The plane, yeah. And they knew that nobody survived. This included passengers of several different nationalities, including German, Swiss, British, and Palestinian. So they really had to do some searching because Mm -hmm. it wasn't like they were all from one country. Mm -hmm. So it made it a little bit tough. And then obviously on top of the passengers that were there, you also had the crew. So you had pilot Reginald Cook, first officer Norman Cook, second officer Donald Checklin, then you had a radar uh, telegraph operator 
Dennis Harmon, and then the aforementioned Iris Evans. Mm -hmm. So that was the crew. Through DNA tests, five of the eight British that were on board were identified. Well, that's good. Yeah. So what exactly did happen to the stardust on that fateful day? That's always going to be a sort of a mystery. There are some assumptions out there. We know that the weather was bad when it took off and that this was a small plane. Most experts in the aviation field believe that the small plane encountered what we would today call a jet stream, and it was completely unprepared for it. A fast-flowing current, which is what a jet stream is, Mm -hmm. sent the slow-moving plane into the mountainside. This caused an avalanche that then covered much of the crash site for decades. So no wonder they couldn't find it. Right. And why did they think this? Remember the Morse code message that the plane sent, S-T-E-N-D-E-C. Well, initially, this was thought to be some type of a typo or misspelling. Yeah. Because it meant nothing. That's not exactly correct, though. They weren't sure what it meant, but when they started looking a little deeper, they found out that this actually was a sing. It wasn't a single word, like they initially thought. It was later discovered that those letters were a code that was used in World War II for severe turbulence encountered, now descending, emergency crash landing. Ah. Oh. So that's actually what they were saying. Yeah. But they just didn't know. So when you combine that with the fact that um, the weather in that that period of time, it really makes it look like they probably hit a jet stream. And if if you're curious what that would be like, if you've ever been driving down the road when a sudden gust of wind hits your car and it kind of jerks you a little Mm -hmm, bit, mm -hmm. imagine that time's about 100 yeah, so I kind of just pushed it forward. And Ima- they can... Imagine you were throwing a paper airplane and a giant 40-mile gust of wind came. What would it do to that airplane? Yeah. In a small plane that was moving at a slower speed, not like a jet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a jet stream would do that. I wonder if it was a jet. It would have that same consequence? Probably not. Probably not. No, because it'd be moving a lot faster and cutting through a lot more. Yeah. It's the smaller planes that would have that issue. Wow. So. That's crazy. That's the story. And I, and like I said, I thought that was an interesting story. I thought it was just something that people would, you know. It's so bizarre that they found their bodies intact like that. That's so, I mean, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And see, the the, the details of that story is what made me want to do it. Uh-huh. That's the kind of stories I want to do. Like, you know, we did Dietloff Pass that have similar types, you know, situations with it where they found the bodies. And all that stuff. That's what makes the story, like. Mm-hmm. different than just, hey, they just found a plane. Yeah, because, yeah. Right, because you really don't think, so, basically, all the bodies were out of the plane. Yes. Yeah, there wasn't much left of the plane. I, I would say, I couldn't imagine there would be. Mm. That's unbelievable. So, another thing I want to start doing on these episodes is, at the end, I want to give a morbid fact. Okay. Just something that gets you thinking. Do you know, according to, I guess, scientists or numerologists or whoever do these numbers, the average person 
walks past 36 murderers in their lifetime. Oh, So me. just at the mall, yeah. walking on the street, in the store, in the grocery shopping. All the people that you walk past your entire life, there's going to be 36 murderers. That is that crazy. Group. You know, you wonder about people when you see them. I, and I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean serial killers. Well, or, no, but it could, still. But it, but it could be somebody robbed somebody at some mm-hmm. point and shot and killed them. That might not have been intentional. But I mean, you know... A murder is a murder, and you walk enough past enough people, you know, you think about how many murders happen every day, and you figure how many people you walk past in a day mm-hmm. and during your lifetime. It makes sense. It's scary to think about. It, but. it is very scary. But, you know, you never just, you never know what happens in people's lives, that's for sure. So. Crazy. Anyways, that's the first episode Next week's going to be actually a little bit longer episode. And like I said, it's got some paranormal aspects because we're going to do the, uh, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do. Okay. I'm just going to tell you it's a jail. A jail? It's a, it's a jail in Chicago. Okay, cool. Old jail. It's not even, it, this particular jail doesn't exist anymore. Ah. But it's a cool story because what does exist where the jail and the gallows was is a firehouse, fire station. And they get the, the residuals. Mm-hmm. Of what happened at the at the uh, jail. So, All right. it's a fun story. You guys are going to like it. Oh, good. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll, I hope you guys will tune in every Saturday for uh, a Cobb Misfortunes. Thanks, guys.